Great. Thanks, Jamie. Um, <clears throat> so I just want to do a short intro. So today is the first in a series of peak collaborative takeover sessions, during which we're going to invite a group of scholars in a particular area to take over the collaborative and run the session. Um, so today's session will be led by Dr. Wes Wilson and a panel that he's put together to discuss the topic of inclusion, physical education, and the intersection of lived identities. Um, we really appreciate the work that you've put into this and are excited for the discussion on this topic. Um, while we do have a panel of scholars leading today's session, we're going to encourage everyone, as usual, who's in attendance today, to offer their ideas, experiences, and questions throughout the session. And you can either do that by raising your hand to speak or typing into the chat. So um, with that said, Wes, would you please introduce the panel and get us started? All right. Thank you so much, Jen. I appreciate the introduction. I'm going to just share my screen here real quick with everyone. All right. Um, so I'm so thrilled to, to be here today. Thank you so much for the invite. Um, I just want to set up, set the stage a little bit for our discussion today and, and uh, let you know exactly uh, what we're going to be talking about and how we're going to work through all of our questions that we have. So uh, we're going to have four different prompts that the panel will discuss, but the de design is that it's going to be very conversational in nature, that we want a lot of discussion to happen between our panel and then the, the audience members. Um, so it's going to be conversational. If we have a really good conversation going, I'm not going to cut it short just to move on to the next prompt because the idea is that we want to get some uh, into the content uh, in a deep sort of way. Um, that being said, I do have some audience questions built in to our presentation. However, if you have a question or a comment that uh, we don't have a specific audience question for, please do raise your hand and I'll do my best to unmute you so you can ask the panel or ask your colleagues um, of, of those types of questions. All right, so I'm gonna let the panel introduce themselves um, because they can do it much better than I can. Um, so I'm going to stop sharing my screen and then if uh, Dr. Nancy Spence, uh, Spencer want to start us off, that'd be great. Um, hi there, I'm really excited to be with you today. I'm Dr. Nancy Spencer from the University of Alberta in Canada. Um, I am not an APE scholar, I would actually identify as an APA scholar, so adapted physical activity. Um, I'd also identify as a white cisgendered woman and a settler. And I also think it's important that, to say that I do not experience disability. So while that's an area of focus in my research, it's not my own personal lived experience. All right. Thank you very much, Nancy. Um, Nicole, can you want to go next? Hi, everybody. Um, my name is Nicole Kirk. I am an assistant professor of kinesiology at the University of Georgia down in Athens. Um, I'm in my first semester there. I would identify myself as someone who works in adapted PE and adapted physical activity. I think that um, my teaching is primarily in adapted physical education, but my scholarship thus far has been in both areas. I do actually experience a disability. I have a learning disability, but it doesn't necessarily play um, so much into my research. Thank you, Nicole. Uh, Steve, wanna go next? Hello, I'm Steve Holland. I'm a doctoral candidate at Old Dominion University. Um, I also do not experience disability. Um, I identify as PEAT trained, so I've gone through undergraduate PEAT program, mass program, and uh, classify my now as PEAT um, with a disability focus. Um, as uh, Nancy 
gave some additional information. I also identify as a white cisgender male, um, which is important for the research that, that I do. And Fabian, if you could uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, um, thank you for, for having me here today. I'm Fabian Arroyo. Um, I'm actually a doctoral student in adaptive physical education at The Ohio State University. Um, it is actually my first year. I consider myself the, the less, uh, least experienced in this panel, but I'm, I'm really happy to contribute to uh, from my experiences as a Latino. I'm originally from Chile. I'm a physical education teacher, and I'm really interested in, in getting to know the understandings of inclusion, especially in, in Latin American environment. All right, thank you so much. And a little about myself. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Utah in the Department of Special Education. Um, so what I wanna do now is get into our first prompt. All right, so for this first prompt, I want to open it up to the Peak Collaborative first. Um, specifically, what is an inclusion and how do we teach it in our PEAT programs? Um, so at this time, you can raise your hand and I will try to unmute you or maybe uh, Jen or Risto can help me with the unmuting. And then I will invite my panel to kind of interject their own experiences and expertise as far as what inclusion is. So take a second to ponder that and uh, we'll go from there. I see uh, Samantha, has, Samantha Ross has written into the text box that she makes efforts uh, this, semester, this semester to include first person stories from individuals and scholars with disabilities. So getting that perspective from those with disabilities themselves. Um, Samantha, do you wanna to share in person with us a little bit? I think a lot of people are maybe um, nervous to share when we have such, such a uh, great panel set up. So uh, I think sometimes in, in these scenarios, if we're, if we're talking and I, I see Ben, uh, ben has the courage to step up here, so maybe we'll go to him, but, um, you know, maybe we can get uh, a panelist to go up um, here as well. So um, you should be uh, ready to go, Ben. Can you unmute yourself? Yeah. Yeah, I'm good. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and be brave. Uh, <laughs> when I see those terms, I, I think about that, uh, you know, being inclusive in, in really in any scenario should, should really mean that what is being taught and what is uh, being set up for the activity or um, it should be inclusive of all ability levels regardless of whether we you know could categorize them as um, someone with a disability or someone not with a disability but essentially if, if we are designing our programs well and we are uh, helping our our future teachers to understand that point i think that's a very important part that, that we need to have there is is not there, there really isn't a separation between physical education and adaptive physical education so much as there is simply the idea that uh, trying to make our programs inclusive for a, a range of abilities, regardless of what they are. So the way I view it. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing, Ben. And I see that Samantha wants to chime in here too. Yeah, thank you. I um sorry for that pause there. I didn't realize I I can't unmute myself, so it's going through a moderator, which I appreciate. Um, I will share that I'm teaching from an adapted physical education classroom setting. So when I shared about intentionally sharing first person stories, it was within that adapted classroom to make sure that that first person perspective was being shared and that we're challenging our notions of what it means to be included in hearing from that community. 
Um, I also make sure that when we talk about that inclusion and accessibility, I'm having them look at checklists and different perspectives on both physical inclusiveness and accessibility from a structural perspective, but also getting into that um, inclusive language, uh, receptiveness of programs to welcome uh, athletes with disabilities and getting them to kind of students to think about multiple um, levels of inclusion. Thanks. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing, Sam. And uh, the panel can chime in too and keep the discussion moving as well if you have something to share. Um, so maybe I'll uh, share a little bit about my perspective. So when I was first getting interested in inclusion as a doctoral student, you can kind of find like a zillion def different definitions about it. But what, what I kept missing from the literature is what kids were saying about their own experiences. So I really came to understand disability from an experiential lens. So I use that term um, children who experience disability or person who experiences it versus the person first language. But I think what that does is recognize that inclusion is really a subjective experience of the person. So it's um, about their sense of belonging, their acceptance, or their feelings around acceptance and value. So it's it's highly relational in the space, but, but that it really comes down to how an individual experiences that. And that's what I think makes inclusion really tricky because we can have policies and we can have strategies. And um, Samantha mentioned checklists and Ben mentioned this idea of inclusive for all people. But if you start to understand inclusion as the way somebody feels about being in a space, it becomes really complicated. I'm going to go ahead and piggyback off of Nancy there. Um, you know, my own experiences while I was teaching adapted physical education was that inclusion was, was what we were striving for. It was what I was supposed to get to as a teacher. Um, and then I watched other folks in my program put together these courses and, and call them inclusive. And one in particular I can think of is inclusive government. And so I would go in and, and see what this looked like. And it was nothing more than, than integration. It was kids with disabilities, kids without disabilities, sharing one space with this great name of a, of a class that we gave it. Um, you know, since I've, that, that kind of changed my perspective and, and through the work, similar to, to Nancy's um, own idea of, of what the student experiences, what the student thinks. I think an added component of that is understanding that inclusion is fleeting, that something that we design or a program or maybe a specific activity that may be inclusive one day is not going to be the same the next day or that the same class we, we are in and out of this idea of inclusion because those subjective feelings change. So I think that I've, I've had my own perspective shifted from thinking that something that I could obtain and, and get there and never have to worry about again to understanding that this is constantly an ebb and flow and you have to really take student perspective into account. Yeah, just to go along, I think, with what both Nancy and Steve mentioned is that, you know, we have a, a limited but growing body of literature surrounding this from the perspective of people who have disabilities in various contexts, whether it's in uh, general physical education or whether it's in a self-contained classroom or whether it's in physical activity contexts that aren't necessarily within the K-12 uh, school day. And that's something that we need to, I think, continue to look to. Uh, not only to build, but then to reference what inclusion looks like, because who are we including? And 
what is the purpose of that inclusion? Is the is the benefit of inclusion for kids who have disabilities? Is the benefit of inclusion for non-disabled peers to learn about people with disabilities? How do those two things drive with one another? Um, and, and whose perspective is most important when we're thinking about inclusion? And uh, Steve mentioned uh, something that I wanna highlight a little bit about this discussion between integration and inclusion. I was hoping that uh, someone on the panel would be able to, to address that more directly. What, what's the difference between integration and inclusion? You know, let me uh, jump in really quick here. Um, I did a, I wanted to put a, a little bit of a, in perspective what inclusion is and this integration can be. Um, and I wanted to look at some data really quick and, and I found some really interesting things. It was first that one in five Americans live in a multi-generational household. There's still a high number of refugees in the U.S. from the Middle East in Africa. The foreign student enrollment just doubled between, in, between 2008 and 2016. Um, and as of uh, 2019, there are 60.6 million of Latinos and Latinas living in the U.S. So to me, is what are we working with? Um, and, and in order to understand that, we need to understand that diversity is here. And more than that, diversity has always been here. And in that sense, um, my first thing about inclusion is about awareness. Am I aware of the population that I'm around? Am I aware of the cultural environment that I'm in, that a multicultural environment that I'm in? So in that sense is, do I want to give access? And that's where integration comes in. Because if I only give access, then I'm only integrating, but I'm not necessarily responding to a much bigger need. Um, so I believe uh, that's the main difference because inclusion, it's a process, it's an ongoing process. It's a cultural that I create myself in an environment with everybody else, but don't just give in access momentarily. Um, so those are the kind of the things that I wanted to put out there and, and just kind of give a sense of inclusion. It's also a culture that we built together. Thank you, Fabian. And uh, Fabian did talk a little bit about uh, the differences between integration and inclusion. And, and I know when I was going through uh, my, my PEAT training uh, a decade ago, it was very hard for me to separate those different ideas where inclusion is this philosophy, this culture that you create, and integration is just the, the placement, right? And uh, I think that that is one of those um, those features that we need to understand and be able to distinguish because if placement is inclusion, then everyone's included, right? But uh, as we'll see over the course of this discussion, we're going to problematize that, that notion that just placing a student uh, will result in inclusive experiences that are subjective to those students. Um, did anyone else have anything they'd like to share about what inclusion is? I think I see Nicole and Nancy have both unmuted. Go ahead, Nicole. Okay. Um, I was just, I was going to add that, um, you know, similar to what Nancy brought up early on, is that, you know, you might look at a, a checklist and see that physically people who have disabilities and people who don't have disabilities are in the same place that are maybe doing similar things or at least near one another. But what that neglects, which I think inclusion should address, is the other part that Nancy mentioned earlier, which is what does the person in this case, who has a disability feel about being present in that space? Do they feel as though, like Fabian said, do they feel as though they are being um, welcomed, that their perspective is being valued? 
Um, with, without that, we're just talking about a physical space. That's all. And I was just going to build a little bit more. And, and some of you might have seen this. It's like a pictogram quite often. If you look up um, like Google inclusion, integration, segregation in, on the internet, you'll see this sort of these diagrams of a whole bunch of circles of what that could actually look like. But the interesting thing that I find about inclusion is it's always a circle. And when I look at a circle, like there, those are closed lines that go around the circle. So we still have this idea of people coming into a space, which is how I would describe integration, right? Like people are invited into a space, but they may not feel welcome there, but they get to be in space together. But how that transforms to be inclusive experiences is something that I think continues to evade us. I think the idea that it's dynamic and flexible is a really useful way to think about it. But I think what we tend to do with inclusion is actually still start from a point of integration where we're saying, oh, come and be in this space that we've already developed, but that space is already a privileged space. It's a highly normative space. So PE, as we've come to know it, know it, when we make adjustments within it, it hasn't really changed the space unless we actually rethink and recreate it. And so trying to get away from the idea that we're including into something that already exists versus inventing something new that kids can experience as inclusive, whether or not you experience disability or other forms of diversity. But I think that those spaces have to actually be constantly recreated rather than saying, here's for Zed, we'll develop a new, more inclusive curriculum. Actually, it probably requires ongoing thinking, which is pretty daunting, I would imagine, if you're a teacher in a classroom. But it, it can't be the same thing that we just transfer from place to place because every place is comprised of different people. Ben, do you want to jump in? Yeah, actually, I I really appreciate what Nancy was was saying here because, I mean, I think this overlaps a lot with some of the social justice uh, conversations that we've had, and um, it's kind of this perspective. I think maybe what Nancy is saying or what I took from it is that you know essentially physical education has been designed for uh, you know only the able-bodied. I mean, that's that's really been a, a a standard of, of the field. And what we're talking about is uh, this idea of inclusion or bringing people into that space, as she said. Uh, but it, in many ways, is not, it, it's, it's not really structurally ready for that. I mean, I think it's the, the idea that maybe change needs to happen in that sense. And, um, you know, much in the way that, you know, things like institutionalized racism exist, there's almost this institutionalized feature of physical education that that it almost inherently excludes students with with disabilities. And so, uh, you know, how that I guess something I've always wondered for a long time is that if I'm a physical education teacher and, and I want to make my classroom inclusive and of all a range of ability levels, um, you know, how how exactly do I do that? And and maybe more importantly, sometimes how do I work specifically with an adapted physical education specialist to be able to create this this more welcoming and an appropriate environment. Mm -hmm. And uh, I see Mark in the, the group chat has been talking and I asked if you'd be willing to share a little bit more about what he's doing. Yeah, hey, thanks for the opportunity and I appreciate the conversation. Uh, just so we can, uh, uh, to be clear, um, uh, I have a son who's been on an IEP through his K through 12 um, educational journey. I have an older sister with a severe disability. Uh, I myself uh, do not uh, express a disability. So 
and I appreciate everyone's concepts on this. And what I wanted to bring up is the, the question was, the second part, I believe, was how do you teach it within your PEAT program, foster it, teach it. And I think the definitions that you've all been um, expressing and revealing are great. I think it's kind of baked into the word a little bit. So when we look at it, we do, we think about these as concepts and principles. So while we do bring in, uh, and we can't do much with the built environment of physical education unless we have a chance to redesign it. Like this summer, we built a fitness garden on our campus and it's a fully ADA compliant. Every, all uh, ability levels can utilize it. So that really has changed everything from a facility standpoint. It, it's already ba it's it's uh, already accessible. It already has these things. We don't have to you know, be, tweak what we have. But when you look at those two principles of the slanted rope theory and Tomlinson's model of differentiated instruction, those are concepts. They're not classes. They don't start and begin. We introduce it early, and those are threads throughout the curriculum. That every time you look at a an activity, a, a unit, a philosophy, a curriculum, is it respectful? Is it flexible? Uh, do you always assess and adjust it? And it's small tweaks. You don't have to recast everything. Uh, there are things that you can do to create a really inclusive environment that's welcoming, given the environment you're in. Uh, and some of us have the luxury to rebuild and rethink environments. The reality of most P through 12 teachers and P through 16 uh, teachers like us, we, are, we work in the environment we're in, uh, unless you can design it. So I love the idea and the notion of rethinking, how does it look like involve everybody? But in a uh, practical standpoint, um, we try to focus on not always the one activity, one class, you have your adapted class. You know, what, do you, what can you carry through your journey of a curriculum? Slanted rope, slight tweaks, and these three principles of differentiated instru instruction. And I think that's powerful. Uh, but thank you for the opportunity for me to share. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Mark. And I want to highlight something that he said. Um, you know, when I was going through my undergrad, and this is probably similar to a, a lot of you, I only had one APE class, and that's where we talked about everything APE was not as integrated in the rest of the curriculum. And I know we talked about this within our panel um, in the last couple of days, you know, is our Pete set up to be talking about, you know, teaching students with disabilities and what it means to actually include them and make sure they feel included across all the courses. And I'm wondering if someone on the panel uh, wants to kind of take, take that direction more. I'm happy to, to jump in since this was the, the thing I kept bringing up. So <laughs> I, as I, as I mentioned, I identify as someone who is Pete trained, right? And so I get really, um, I, I, I care a lot about the language, I guess, of a Pete versus Pete and this, this distinguishing between us. And so I'll often talk to people who do mostly PE focused research who will say, I don't do APE stuff. Right, and in, in my mind, APE stuff is PE stuff. Um, I'm doing PE-related research with a disability focus. Um, how can we look at, at other angles of doing the things that we're doing so that APE doesn't have to be relegated to a three-credit, one-time course that you take with someone who may or may not have any experience other than that one undergrad course they had? Right. Um, or, you know, I, I appreciate what Mark was saying as well about the idea of kind of inter, interweaving that in. So I think about the, the PEAT program I'm a part of here at ODU, 
I started out teaching our undergraduate team sports class, individual sports class. Those, those classes are not designed for disability to be discussed or focused, right? So how do you shift that? And you have the power, you have the ability to change that a little bit and talk about disability in those courses, how to be more inclusive, how to provide more opportunities for more students. And not only that, the introduction of non-traditional sports. When we think team sports, we think of traditional, um, typical sports that you would see. So how do we kind of break ourselves out of that mold as Pete and, and think about what other sports could look like? Um, anyone else have anything to add um, towards this discussion of what inclusive is um, and how do we um, in integrate it into our PEEP programming. And we'll have plenty of time to circle back to because a lot of the content we're talking about are very interrelated. Do you have a hand up just in the... All right. Dominique has her hand up. Yep, and I'm on mute, I believe. Yep. Um, so I really appreciate what you're saying, Stephen, because um, at Mason, we have one course in adapted PE and we are fortunate to have um, an adapted PE teacher in the schools that come and teach that course. He was, he was trained in adapted PE. We know he is very qualified to teach that, but the course comes really late in their training. And then they have all those um, more activity-based courses that they receive. And yet they've never heard of ways to modify anything. So when they get to the adapted PE class, they're either ready to go student teach or maybe have one more semester left. And all the activity courses have been done already. So um, what this discussion makes me question is when to, I mean, because I do think that it is a good thing to have that one class to kind of give them all the, the, the nomenclatures and all the things that comes in with this um, this uh, physical this type of physical education, and then with that knowledge, then then challenge them in in everything else that they do to think that way all the time, rather than to just think that way when they are in that one course and think that way when this one child comes in their class and is autistic or is in a, in a wheelchair, but rather how to think that way all the time. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, I can, I appreciate your point, Dominique. Um, at the university I'm at, it's a second year required course for the students in my faculty. And so immediately I think they have to come up against some of their own assumptions around disability and, and then hopefully that helps them to move forward with more of an inclusive lens um, throughout their graduate or throughout their undergraduate degree program, whether it's disability focused or just difference focused and diversity focused. So I think, I think earlier is really important, particularly if there's only one course of that nature. And, and I'm just noticing in some of the comments too, I'm seeing, you know, medical model come up and, and how, you know, we do this othering by offering one course. Right. It suggests, oh, this is a whole other group of people. And so right away, we've sort of, you know, bumped up against this assumption around inclusion that it's meant to be for everyone when we then go and do this. Oh, and you better take this other course. And so I think that's highly problematic. 
Um, and it would be better if it were, there was, we had more of an infusion approach where we saw that happening across courses. And also to Mark's point about barriers and not having to throw everything out. Um, like I'm, you know, I get to be kind of dreamy sitting in my office and I'm not in the gym with all of you. And so I highly value the points that you were making about, you know, we do do things and um, it is flexible and fluid and we have to make changes on the fly. I think the one thing that we need to continue to work at doing is getting information from the children. And that helps us to recreate and rethink the kinds of things we might do. I think often in teaching, we do a top down thing In research, we do a top down thing. But if we can meet kids with their experiences, I think that would also be really helpful. And it looks like Hans wants to add his point. I'm going to go ahead and unmute him. Uh, good afternoon, all. Um, I, I, it, this, this may be a, a left turn without blinkers, but uh, it, it seems to me that we have a large contingent of folks who are in the adapted physical education slash activity area. I think that's a fair, fair assessment. Um, I, I guess my, my question is uh, the degree to which your experiences in your doctoral program when you were preparing to become this, let's call it APE professor or APA professor, uh, the degree to which your preparation included uh, focusing on looking at teacher education programs in our area and seeing how, how uh, inclusion um, could be, I don't want to say best uh, included or in, in, in infused um, and how it could be done. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of curious to hear from people uh, what, if anything, was discussed when you sat with your mentor in seminars or something to that effect? Thank you for the opportunity to hold up the discussion. Thank you, Hans. Any responses? Um, I can speak to this a little bit. I graduated not very long ago at all, so I remember this pretty well. Um, you know, a lot of the time we were talking about was a similar focus to what both my mentors and some of my research has tended to, to focus on, which has been, you know, lived perspectives of people who have disabilities within physical education context. So perhaps we were less focused on the PE teacher perspective. Some people definitely have a really solid focus on that, but ours was uh, tended to be more about uh, is inclusion being felt and perceived by people who are intended to be included? And so that's kind of where most of my work has gone. I think that, uh, you know, Steve has the same mentor that I had, but I think because of his interests, that might be a little bit different than, than the conversations that, that I had. So I'm going to pass the ball forcefully to Steve. Yeah, I um, did a little bit more... Um, with socialization, just having worked with Kevin and Wes coming out of Purdue as an undergrad. Um, so there, there is a little bit more there. Um, some of the studies that I've done have looked at um, adapted PE teachers and their socialization. And, and so the idea of inclusion though is something that doesn't really come up. And I think, again, it's my own bias similar to Nicole's of, the idea that inclusion is a philosophy, whereas it's often bastardized when we use it and we talk about it as a place and as a, a way that PE is being done rather than a philosophy. Uh, so I have tended to 
avoid that. Um, but what I will say is that most of the, the, the folks that I talk to are masters trained through an APEAT graduate program and their undergrad program had um, just the one, the one course, most of them. And then they really started to learn more about disability, about folks who are experiencing disability uh, when they got to that master's program. And so it took that desire to get the specialized training, uh, to get additional training uh, for that to really start to come through. And others who aren't on the panel, uh, there's definitely a lot of APE people, um, PEAT people who focus on disability, uh, if you wanna raise your hand. You know, I, I just would like to add something, although, um, you know, my, I want to bring a little bit of a perspective from outside the U.S. and what's going on. Just, just having this instance to talk about inclusion and in, in, um, adaptive physical education or adaptive physical activity too, um, it's certainly a privilege. Um, I, I recently completed a, a work with some colleagues in Chile and we were looking at physical education classes and how this inclusion works or how this actually it's put together or how it's, it, it's implemented. And we just find this constant repetition of this trying to build this normal bodies. And it's completely implemented into, you know, highly sports based uh, for per se normal people. Um, and inclusion is not happening at the school level or neither integration is. Um, so there is a lot of work to do in this and kind of like what Steve was saying, more than a philosophy, how do we actually look into this inclusion thing? Um, so it's really interesting to have these instances and build together a concept of inclusion and how we actually understand it. And that's actually very interesting to me. This is starting to sound an awful like socialization uh, to me, which I get really excited about personally. I know. Steve alluded to it earlier that we've done some work in this area. Um, and based on how we go through our, our training, the different faculty we work with, our different experiences, those training programs afford us might influence um, our perspectives on this. And I, I wanna highlight what uh, Sam Ross was saying. Uh, I was wondering if you'd be willing to share with the group, Sam, a little bit about this um, public health perspective. Yeah, thanks um, for opening up that conversation. Yeah. Um, Coming from a public health program base, and I did my doctoral studies in adapted physical activity. Um, I did not have a physical education focus. I think there was hesitation to integrate disability even across public health programs and courses because there was this idea that you have to be specialized in this topic or to work with this population in order to be effective. Um, and, and so I'm really appreciating the conversation in the chat about integrating these conversations across courses so that it's, it's one more consideration that you think about across the diversity of all of your students. And it's not this specialized group of people that requires a specialist to work with. Um, because you see it in public health programs too that we're constantly when we talk about diversity, we're constantly missing out on this identity of disability and how that might be integrated into those promotion programs as well. Hmm. And that sounds like a, a pretty nice segue sort of into our, our next question. Um, I love this discussion, but 
I do want to get to our second prompt. Prompt two, what do we mean by this notion of intersectionality and why is it important to consider students with disabilities who belong to perhaps other social identity groups? And I want to first open this up uh, to our panel to kind of express their views. Um, and then we'll open it up for audience input as well. I was going to forcefully pass the ball to Nancy. <laughs> I'm not sure that's the best idea I've ever heard, but um, so I, I guess one way to, it, it's not a simple concept, but one way to uh, maybe talk about this is that we never come to any space or any place with just one way of being, of self-identifying. We're always more than one thing. And quite often when we talk about inter intersectionality, we're talking about having multiple identities that are often marginalized um, or devalued discriminated against often place people in situations where they're disadvantaged by a number of different things and that can be a result of disability experiences ones that are associated with uh, race culture um, ethnicity uh, it can be associated with gender various different things and so we might be talking about um, girls who experience disability so you can see that there might be two identities there not just one and intersectionality reflects the idea that there are overlapping identities. So it's not just the child with a disability. Um, and I think often children who experience disability become that child when in fact they actually have multiple different kinds of identities that are all playing at one time. And, um, and that can make it even more complicated to be thinking about how do we create inclusive spaces and, and how do we um, enhance the likelihood that a child might experience a sense of inclusion, belonging, value in a space. So someone else can add to that. Steve, why don't you add to that? Man, this is a, a fun game that we are playing here. Um, yeah, so I am actually interested in understanding the experiences of students who identify as trans, as well as students who identify as having a disability and um, as trans. And so there, there's not a lot on this intersectionality in physical education literature, because much of, of what is, is published is single subject issue, right? When we look at disability in PE, it is a student with a disability, and we, we fail to see those other embodied experiences and, and what that means and how those, those embodies, embodied experiences overlap. So outside of PE, um, you know, to use a, a bathroom for an example. So when we have this idea, this, this gender binary construct and restrooms are set up using that construct, um, a lot of times they're inaccessible. So you are leaving someone out who has a disability, whereas at times we may have an accessible restroom, um, but it doesn't, in, it, there's no um, non-binary option for that restroom. So someone can be marginalized from, from one of those perspectives or both of those perspectives if, if their needs aren't being met. And so I think it's important to look beyond disability. Uh, I was actually gonna plug Scott's podcast here. Nancy's episode came out yesterday, Scott McNamara's podcast, um, where she discussed you know, the, the idea of when is disability important as well, right? So like, when is that identity important? So we need to not only understand disability as an identity, but we need to understand its relevance in, in that context and in what we're doing. So I think a lot of times, you know, social justice has been brought up a lot in the chat, 
And I think that's something when we look at social justice, we just look at race or we just look at sexuality. Uh, we just look at gender and we don't look at some of those other, those other um, identities that, that also mesh there. Yeah, um, in the chat, uh, Samantha, it looks like mentioned that there's a tendency to see disability as a dominating identity. And I think that's really interesting because sometimes that's definitely the case. Um, sometimes it does seem to be the dominant identity. We don't have a whole ton of data so far. We don't have a whole ton of studies, but in PE perspectives, uh, I, was, I was part of a study a while back that uh, was a qualitative interview study that involved um, talking to people who identified as male and also who had a visual identified as having a visual impairment or blindness. And that within PE context, more often than not, even though typically we think of being male as a privileged identity, especially within a physical education space, um, in fact, having a visual impairment uh, tended to be the dominating uh, or the dominant identity that came to the fore in a physical education context. Now, might this be different with different disability identities uh, or in different contexts? Yeah, for sure. But that's something that we need to continue to, uh, to dig into a little bit more, I think, in terms of, of the research that we're doing. That's all. Hmm. Um, and Rebecca, Brian, I, I see that you have uh, you uh, have something to chat. I was hoping you'd be willing to share with the rest of the group. So uh, Rebecca was just talking about um, kind of this combination of uh, of different uh, identity groups that folks might come to. Poverty, gender, race, uh, disability are all really crucial for us to understand. And like the panel's highlighting, we really just don't have much information about what that is, especially as it relates to physical education. Um, uh, Fabian, I was hoping that you could talk a little bit about maybe having an immigration status um, and how that might affect. Yeah, so um, actually that it, it comes to my mind a couple of things of experiences that happened to me. And sometimes people, because I'm Latino, they assume something. They assume a certain identity in me. And um, I, I, th there are two questions I came across during my time here in the U.S. The first one was, you know, when I told them that I was from Chile, they asked me where that in Mexico was. And then the second thing was um, if I spoke Colombian. And then, so it comes to, they built a certain identity, something that it's out of normal for them, you know, something that's completely outside of the, the, the you know, their culture, whatever they are in. Um, so when it comes to my mind, it's as teachers, as physical education teachers or professors or whatever area of APE or APA that we are in, my question that um, kind of trying to connect with in, uh, intersectionality is what we actually see in those that we are interacting with. So what kind of identities are we actually seeing in them? Do we just see a disability? Do we just see someone that's a Latino, someone that's white or black or, you know, whatever that might be, what is it that we see? What is, what is it that we construct as, as teachers? And what is it that we want to offer to, that, to those identities? So that's kind of what comes to my mind when it's, it, when it's time to build that identity from the outside too. I think Becky Bryan wanted to jump oh, in, no. so I'll just unmute her. That's fine. I was trying to talk, but I wasn't unmuted. So um, I, I think this is a really great conversation. So I just want to thank everyone um, who on the panel and who's chiming in. Uh, but I would like to go back to uh, what the gentleman just said is that I do think that often we 
fall into what we see like as one's identity. And so often that becomes that dominant identity. Is it a student who uses a chair? Um, And Jamie put that in the chat as well. When we're even asking students to make modifications, they often only think of modifying for disabilities they see. Um, And they don't think about making modifications just for students who might need a variety of of different things. Um, And to really talk about just differentiating instruction for all of our students, instead of trying to pinpoint um, that one item or that one disability. Um, But also the intersectionality, I think that we need to view is that our students are so much more complex than race or gender or disability that they come to us with all of that Um, And that um, there is a really good paper that talks about the intersectionality of, of, I know, gender and disability. Um, And and it would be nice for us to look at that intersectionality um, more broadly, I think, um, when we think about research and and things. So Mm -hmm. thanks. I just want to build on a bit what, what Becky was talking about. Yeah. Quite often we go based on what's visible to us. Mm-hmm. And I think it points again back to that idea of, of knowing who you are with and knowing the children and their experiences and creating a space where they can even share those things with you. Um, because I think teachers are really intuitive. They know things will be going on, but but kids also need these safe spaces to be able to share. Um, and, and it's interesting because I'm starting to become a bit uncomfortable, well, more and more uncomfortable, even with this term adapted, um, because when we adapt, we're still taking something and changing it just a little bit for somebody else and for somebody else. But if we start to think more along the lines of generating, which is, you know, where we come up with some new ideas, and that that isn't to say like, you know, now we have a blank slate, what do we do? But, but if we start working on this idea of generating from the diversity that we have, and we start to see that as very rich and valuable as opposed to, um, you know, marginal and not as important or different from the norm, which we've come to so highly value, then I think it allows for um, things that are invisible, that are devalued to then actually be viewed as part of the richness of diversity that we have. And this conversation, uh, throughout this conversation, something that kept coming back to me is what type of bodies are valued historically in physical education, right? And I think that, you know, this notion of these subjective feelings of inclusion. And if you don't have the right type of body that, you know, that's traditionally thought as being a really uh, good fit for physical education, that that could feed into this whole issue of marginalization for these types of students who may have multiple identities. Um, I was wondering if anyone wanted to uh, kind of address that idea. Wes, I, I don't know if I could address that idea as, as as you stated necessarily, but uh, I did want to share that the more I hear about uh, more of the conversation and more it makes me think that this really, this really is much more aligned with social justice and equity or it is, is very well aligned. And I, and I think about like in our PEAT programs, uh, my, my experience in research is with the uh, teacher socialization and, you know, some of the recommendations within uh, what we've learned from that research is to 
NRP programs is to help challenge our, our students to think about their socialization experiences and how that shapes their beliefs about what the purpose of physical education is and the role of a teacher. And I wonder that perhaps that, that approach or that recommendation should expand to include ideas of social justice and equity and that may encompass this idea of, of uh, you know, what, what the multiple different ide identities that a student may come to a class with and, uh, you know, confronting our own biases and, and things of that nature to be able to become more sensitive and better to design, you know, appropriate instruction. So it's just uh, really appreciate the conversation that's going on. It's making me think about, uh, you know, what I may do in the future with my program. Mm. Yes, thank you for sharing, Ben. Uh, Nicole, I saw you had a comment as well. Sorry, I'm going to try to talk. My internet just became unstable, it tells me. Um, but, uh, you know, this is just kind of anecdata, as they say. But as, uh, as Nancy was saying, uh, you know, talking about adapting and what that means, you know, I've done a little bit of work. And if, you, if you're tired of hearing about people who have visual impairments, I'm sorry. But uh, I've done a little bit of work talking to folks who have visual impairments in non-PE contexts, so in, in physical activity contexts. And uh, something that came up often was the idea that, you know, if things are modified in a in an integrated, and I'm going to use that term deliberately, in an integrated physical activity setting, people who had visual impairments often had this idea that if things are modified for me, I'm getting in the way of the people who don't have visual impairments and their fun or their experience, or I'm slowing things down, or I'm uh, otherwise ruining the experience for other people. So, you know, this is a sort of self-marginalization where people are accustomed to, um, you know, getting out of the way essentially for people who don't experience disabilities or people they don't perceive experience disabilities. And, uh, you know, along a similar line, a couple of preferred activities have been ones where there are minimal modifications. So it's something that is very easy for people to approach from the get-go. Or in the case of people who play and appreciate goalball, it's a sport that was designed for people who have visual impairments from the jump. So it was never adapted for them, it was for them. And that seems to have a certain following um, because it's theirs. It, I think sometimes people who are, are adherents to it or participants in it feel as though it belongs to them. Uh, yeah. And you know we can borrow it, but it belongs to people who have visual impairments. So I think that's an interesting thing when we think about adapting and what does adapting mean to the people who are being adapted for. So this is actually a really nice segue into our next prompt, which I'll go ahead and share with everyone. All right, so for this prompt, you've heard us talk about embodiment a little bit, uh, but now we're gonna address it more directly. So what is embodied knowledge? How do we respect and value embodied knowledge of all students with disabilities in our teacher education programs and in, in PE in general? Um, so I would like um, us to discuss this next. Um, if members of the panel wanna take the first crack at this and then we integrate the voices of the audience as we go through, that'd be great. You know, I would like to just uh, uh, jump in and here and kind of introduce this. Um, although embodiment has been, you know, it's been a study for a while now since the 90s or so. Um, and when we have, we have believed in this dualistic um, image of the body and mind, um, kind of separating the body. Um, I believe that it's, it, 
in, in the adaptive physical education and physical education in general. It's super important to understand that everything that we experience is through our bodies. Every emotion, everything that happens to us is experienced through our bodies. Um, and at the same time, and with that being said, it's, we should consider our bodies as the ground to our experiences. That's where everything just starts, everything filters through. Um, and when we start thinking that way, um, we can actually start building that identity that we were talking before. Um, so it's, it's super important to understand how this body actually works and how we actually perceive it more than just a physical thing, but this full connection um, to experience everything that's going through, that we are going through. So I'll follow, follow up uh, what, what Fabian said by adding that um, embodied knowledge is, is uh, one of the newer things that I've been looking at recently. Uh, my understanding of it is, is uh, based on a lot of what uh, Donna Goodwin, some of the work that she has done, where this embodied knowledge are the, the experience, the values um, of individuals with disabilities. And are we listening to what that embodied knowledge is? Is it helping us form, um, you know, a physical education classroom, a, a physical activity setting in a way that values and respects those lived experiences that those folks bring? Or are we just saying, well, this is a very unidirectional type of arrangement where, you know, we're going to dictate what that means for those folks? Or are we actually listening to um, their own experiences and bringing value to those? So that's, that's kind of like the preface that I want to give this discussion. Um, so if anyone wants to add on or tell me that I'm flat out wrong, um, I welcome that discussion. Well, I think um, one of the things Wes is talking about is where is the engagement of disability communities? And I would say like in our research in particular, so the kinds of questions I ask Am I asking them because they're actually relevant mm -hmm. to the kids or are they just kind of my interest or, um, you know, is it, is it, you know, something I read about, so now I'm keen on it, but, but where am I kind of getting my questions? How am I deciding what is actually relevant to know? And I think particularly when it comes to uh, somewhere like PE, the most relevant people in that setting are kids. And, and so are we taking from the children the cues that we need in order to make the changes adaptations, translating, generating new things that make possible inclusion. So, so I think it, a lot of embodiment becomes about voices and, and which ones are, are silenced and which ones are marginalized. And there's this notion of absent presence where we have people in our spaces, but they're relatively absent from our conversations. And so I think disability, the idea of disability gets a lot of talk, but in terms of how we're actually engaging and and who we hear and who we pay attention to and then who in a way drives the kind of research we do has largely been absent disability community voices so. and that's something that um you know a lot of us ape folk know when we do this type of research um, about the experiences of uh, you know kids with disabilities in physical education physical activity settings a lot of it is done from the perspective of the teacher because quite frankly, that's a much easier group to, to collect data from, right? Um, it's much more difficult to interview, you know, kids that have disabilities. Um, but I think we're just trying to highlight in our conversations here that if we don't do those things, if we don't actually solicit feedback and, um, you know, that embodied knowledge of those kids, then it becomes really hard for us to, to say with any measure of certainty, oh, this is an inclusive environment. Uh, for these for these students that we're trying to teach. So is anyone, oh, Steve, go ahead. 
Oh, I was just going to add, you know, going off of, of what Nancy said, I think that as we sit here and we reflect on our AP courses, um, and I think it might have been Emily or it was Jamie said something about, you know, I have a student in a wheelchair, so uh, they they use a wheelchair, so they need this modification, right? So we, we all of our courses are, are typically set up from more of that medical perspective, and that's traditionally how we've viewed um, disability in PE is that it is a medical condition that, that we need to improve or help a student overcome, if you will, right? So that they can participate in what I'm doing in my class. And so I think this idea of embodiment is a newer idea and, and a new um, focus or should be something that we're focusing more on where we're actually concerned with those individual experiences those actual in in person we did that today how how did that work for you you know that feedback with students and getting our peat students comfortable with communicating with students right so a lot of times there's very little communication with students with disabilities it is a um it's a okay this student is coming in with this on their iep so they must need this modification and that's what's going to work. And so there, there's no real give and take, nothing improves from there. And so we got to get past that and move into, let's talk with our students with disabilities. Let's ask them what that experience is like. And they just uh, reposted this prompt that we're currently discussing. I realized that the chat's quickly moving, so it's easy to, to lose text. Um, so does, does anyone in the audience have any um, Thing to add to this discussion of uh, getting the perspectives of the students themselves, being able to to really value um, their their involvement in the PE process. Yeah, um, I, I can jump in for a second, Wes. I think um, one thing that you know, and I mentioned this kind of earlier, what we know from the research around who peak majors are. And PE majors are largely white and able-bodied individuals. And so this idea of um, them identifying more with disabilities that can be seen and things are, I think, isn't, you know, a far, like it's, it's obvious, I guess, is what they, that's what they see. And so I guess from my perspective, this idea of how we can think differently as a field about who can be peat majors um, who can, you know, become physical education teachers. And I think from a societal perspective, um, there's this um, bias against, you know, anyone who is other, right, within if, um, a dominant um, space. And so I think that's the piece that, that I'm really challenged with is this idea of, um, a recruiting diverse uh, individuals into our profession, whether it be um, you know different abilities or race and things as well. Um, but then, when there's an absence of individuals in our programs, then how do we kind of even introduce this idea of embodied knowledge um, if folks within our programs don't necessarily have those? those characteristics. And so I guess that's something that I really struggle with is this idea. And we have a colleague um, who uses a chair and he's a, he was an Olympian. And so our students have a very skewed version view of um, individuals, um, you know, for example, in chairs and, you know, he 
climbs rock walls and does all of these things. And they're like, wow, this is amazing. And, and in some ways it's almost like, um, they're, they then think that's, I think where the chair thing comes from, right? If I have a student in a wheelchair, I will in my, in my lesson plan versus, um, all of these other aspects of individuals, um, that, you know, are embodied within, um, what you're talking about. So I know that was a lot and I just sort of said many things there, but, um, that's kind of what, what I was thinking about this prompt. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing. This actually gets to a point that I think uh, Steve and I were talking uh, with the rest of the panel about over this last week about um, our PEEP programs. Are we set up to, to get folks that a diverse a range of folks who want to teach PEEP? Like, do we have, are we, are we underrepresented as far as having people with disabilities want to enter our PEEP programs? And you know, what, what would that look like? And Steve, do you want to talk a little, little bit more about that? I'm actually going to let Dominique jump in. Oh, she has her hand raised. Oh, yep, yep. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to mention when, when uh, you know, I've been uh, at doing this job now for, you know, a number of years. And uh, of all my years at Mason, 21st year now, I've had one student uh, uh, who had a physical disability. He was in a wheelchair. Uh, enter the program, complete it, and then become a PE teacher. And, and I remember how um, inadequate I was. Uh, you know, I, I remember s specifically one time when I was teaching a dance. And I was looking at him and he says, don't worry, I, I'm going to figure it out. Like, and he knew, like we were doing grapevine or whatever, and he would just kind of wheel his chair on one side. And I mean, he was... He knew what he what I meant and was able to make those modifications and um, but obviously this was a you know twenty something year old who had already experience so um, I guess I'm wondering to what extent those students with disabilities physical or non physical. Um, know how to do things to modify it to help us out if they are at a young age or if it's a disability that has uh, any kind of cognitive um, connotation. So I guess I'm, I'm, I'm questioning to what extent certain kind of disabilities would actually be able to do what we are talking about. In response to, to what Dominique said and anyone else's obviously welcome to, to jump in here. Um, I, I think my response would be that it's, it's gonna be case by case, right? That like, it's not gonna be someone who has experienced a specific disability um, who we just automatically say, no, there's no way you can, you can do this. Um, and, and I think that goes to the point of just whether or not our programs are accessible in general um, as a whole to any student experience, experiencing any type of disability. And so, like Wes said, we've, we've had this conversation a number of times and we have wheelchair sport programs that we host on campus and we have wheelchair athletes um, who come and participate with us. And even for those athletes to get around our campus one day every month is a headache and it's super complicated, right? And it's complicated for our kids who come to campus and participate. And so that's led me to think like, man, how, if 
if he was teaching the classes I'm teaching in this program, or if he were one of my undergrad students, how would we set this up? And, and I don't, I don't have answers to that. I don't know that anyone else has answers to that. Right. But I think that it goes to show that it's something we haven't thought about or talked about really. And so we've never been confronted with it. And, and so we aren't there. I think that Nancy, I told you I wouldn't pass you the ball again, but I, I know that you work with, that you have colleagues who experience disability. And so I just want to get a little bit of your perspective. Yeah. Um, thanks again, Steve. Um, I think one of the, the tricky things here is that when there are certain people who, let's say, identify um, with a particular group or that or folks um, that we're talking about, is that the labor then becomes theirs, right? Which is really tricky. So, um, you know, I do have you know, I am surrounded by people um, with different forms of diversity, I guess, is sort of what you're talking about. Um, but I can see that the labor often becomes theirs in order to then um, broaden possibilities for others. Whereas I think, like, it's my job to make sure that I'm practicing through my pedagogy, through who I look at for potential graduate students, to make sure that I'm providing opportunities um, for people from disability community to become leaders um, in the field as well. Because in our introductions here, for the most part, we did not identify most of us as experiencing disability. And I actually, I think it's kind of problematic in some ways that, that we don't have more disability community experts as our researchers, as our teachers, um, as our mentors, because um, they're not afforded opportunities in the way in which the system is designed. And, and I think that the wealth of knowledge that comes from an experiential lens is the thing that actually makes changes around equity, diversity, and inclusivity. And it's the thing that actually could lead to social justice in our schools. Um, but those voices are so often silenced and opportunities are not afforded. And so we see a very similar kind of body coming through PEAT programs, coming through APA programs, um, where we need more diversity and we need to see that um, as a major contributor to positive change versus, oh, we're giving somebody an opportunity. Actually, no, somebody else is going to bring wealth of knowledge to, to make it better for more people. I see uh, Todd has his hand up. So why don't we go to Todd and then Wes, we can uh, bring it back to you for a closure. Sounds good. Yeah, I, I wanted to chime in a little bit. I, I'm sorry, I, I'm a little... Uh... I'm new here, so I wasn't going to be the, uh, that person to come in and, and say a few things. But, you know, you guys all talk to me. Uh, I've, I've taught 27 years. I've been in the elementary level. I'm an adaptive PE specialist. I got my degree in adaptive physical education. So I've, I've, I've kind of feel all you guys what you're saying in a lot of different things. And I go, I go back to thinking back to levels meaning uh, teaching elementary education versus high school. I think you guys all kind of talked about how you set up a class from the uh, traditional class, which you would see primarily in the high school level uh, and the elementary level. It seems like most of the physical education teachers that I've been around are easily modifying activities or making activities uh, differential. Uh, when you get to the high school level, I found uh, that, that's where uh, the high school teachers, you know, are doing the traditional and it becomes more, uh, you know, it's, it's harder for them because they are thinking of as an integrated, hey, I'm going to modify these activities. Uh, 
uh, versus where, you know, when I go in, I, I try to do co-curricular. So now I'm including and modifying the activity that is their primary sport and making those kids go in doing their activity. Um, but I, I also wanted to touch on a little bit about the, the different levels of uh, in, in uh, the college level classes, touching on adaptive PE uh, all along as you go and modifying and, and coming up with activities throughout and thinking of everyone at one time is really important. And the other thing I wanted to touch on was through where my experience, where I got a lot of different experience coaching wheelchair sports. I did a program here. I did wheelchair track and field. We did goal ball. I worked with kids with uh, uh, visually impaired. So I've done a lot of different recreation activities. So one thing from uh, my perspective for the university is, and I know we stay on physical education or activity. One of the things that recreation does a pretty good job is they are pretty diversified and, and trying to uh, try to get our kids, the Mason kids or any kids, outside groups. And that's one of the things I try to uh, encourage is there's so many different programs that they can volunteer and get that experience because I came into it with a different lens when I went to wheelchair, when I went to the wheelchair basketball team and I took over as the head coach, I was like overwhelmed because I had multiple levels with multiple different uh, skill levels for kids that were utilizing chairs. And it wasn't until I got that experience and being engrossed in it. But the biggest thing is keeping my eyes open and, and, and doing it. So we got to get those kids pushed out and, and tell, tell them, listen, the more experience you get when you're in the college level, whether it's volunteering for these programs, uh, it, the better they're going to be and more comfortable they're going to be in the general physical education class. I know if it wasn't for my uh, classes going into uh, adaptive physical education, I would have struggled my first year. Uh, and I think that that's, that just says something about when you come from a program that has different multiple levels, even different little classes, half credit classes of activity with kids with disabilities and, you know, where you're working one-on-one or you, you have an inclusive setting, it's, it's really important. So anyways, that's what I wanted to say. Uh, Thanks for having me and I uh, appreciate uh, listening to me. Thank you so much, Todd. And I appreciate your, your perspective and viewpoint there. The uh, socialization guy in me was completely nerding out while you were talking. So thank you for that. Um, unfortunately, we are at the end of our time, folks. Um, I know this is a content area that you could talk about all day and probably most of us on this panel have talked about this all day. Um, but we are so grateful that uh, you allowed us to, to come and chat with you in this peak collaborative. Um, I learned a lot personally from not only my panelists, but um, from the rest of you as well. Um, so thank you to my panelists and for the people collaborative for uh, giving us a, a little bit of time. And thanks, Wes, and thanks everybody on the panel. Um, I want to reiterate that, you know, this Peak Collaborative is a community that we need your voices in here, right? We need APA, APE voices to chime in when we have these greater discussions. And I think oftentimes we, you know, and I think Pete does this, and I think, you know, the conversations I've had with, um, you know, adapted physical education professors, you've said that you do this, is that we kind of separate ourselves into being two separate areas that, oh, I don't do any, and that's, that's me, I don't do any APE. So I might not go into these APE presentations because there are qualified faculty at my university that cover it. And I integrate it just a little bit into my courses. But I think 
hearing this in these types of collaborative meetings and chiming in and reminding that when we're talking about social justice and equity that we should be including all types of different uh, people in that in that conversation. And so I, I thank everybody here that has come in and had this conversation. I've learned a lot, um, you know, just on the basis of language and terminology, adapted, integrated, inclusion that, you know, I used interchangeably. And, you know, those are things that this is exactly what I think this peak collaborative is for is to push our thinking respectfully and push me and other people who are here that may not be in, in a specific class or a specific field to really consider what we are doing, how we're doing it, how are we being inclusive across the board. And, and I think many of us, you know, we, we send people on to master's programs from Mason who have had that single APE course and they fall in love with it. And they're like, this is what I want to do. I want to be an APE teacher. And we just imagine what, what would it be like if they were able to take two or three or four courses in this during their undergraduate to really build that, uh, build that foundation. So um, I want to remind you the next collaborative is November 12th at 4 p.m. Um, so it's always the second uh, Thursday of every month at 4 p.m. Eastern. Um, we will uh, post this up on the podcast so you, uh, for people that you know couldn't make it today, we can give the audio, uh, audio there. Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining. Um, really appreciate all of your time.